today on Justice is Served. Join us for an update on OJ and the knife discovery, as well as the legal updates on the Cosby case and Kesha's legal battle with Sony. Stay tuned for that and more. You are tuned into Black Hollywood Lives. Justice is Served. Hello and welcome to Justice is Served, the show where we give you all of the latest in legal news. My name is Mari Fagel. I'm joined by my co-host Shaka Smith. Shaka, nice to see you nice again. Nice to see you, Mari. Glad to uh, have you. We have a lot to talk about this week yeah. and a lot of fascinating stories in my mind where I think that life is stranger than fiction. <laughs> and so obviously the case that I'm talking about when you talk about how life is stranger than fiction is O.J. Simpson. Yeah, wow. So what's interesting to me, Shaka, is that you're doing the AfterBuzz TV show for... American Crime Story, yeah. The fictionalized <laughs> version of the O.J. Simpson trial that was 20 years ago. Yet this case is still still in the news and still making news. Yeah, I think it's kind of like making a murder phenomenon now when these legal cases are being used in pop culture. Now people are becoming sort of amateur sleuths and finding out different uh, different things that are going on with these cases. So then based off what you said, I have a feeling what your perspective is going to be on the latest update in the O.J. Simpson case. It's crazy to even be talking about an update in a case that was technically put to rest 20 years ago. <laughs> but um, all of a sudden on Friday morning, I wake up and I get an alert from TMZ that a knife was discovered in OJ Simpson's backyard. And I thought to myself, what year are we in yeah. and what decade are we yeah, in? Yeah, we kind of did some time travel, right? <laughs> it, I, it was bizarre. And then I thought to myself, how how are we just figuring this out now? And then the story only got stranger. So apparently, O.J. Simpson's house was demolished in 1998 by the new owners because who wants to live in the house of a possible yeah. double murderer? <laughs> so his house was demolished, and this construction worker all these years ago found this knife buried in the backyard. He well knew it was O.J. Simpson's former house, so he walked across the street and handed it to a cop in uniform. Yeah. That cop was a traffic cop who was there on a movie shoot, patrolling a movie shoot in the Brentwood neighborhood at the time. Time. Now, the real shocker is this cop, this man in uniform, doesn't turn the knife over then and there to get tested. He holds on to it for, wait for it, 20 years, nearly 20 years. He comes up for his retirement in January and he decides, okay, I'm going to frame this knife and I'm going to get the case number inscribed. Let me just find out the case number. Finally, he reveals that he's held on to this knife all these years and Cops hear about this and they're like, you need to turn this over. So finally, the knife, it's getting tested. The results are gonna be out in two weeks according to the Los Angeles Times. And are you like waiting with bated breath to see the results? Well, not really. I, I, <laughs> I have a feeling it's gonna yield very little, especially I, I saw a picture of the knife. It was very rusted over. It looked like it um, had been well-worn. Uh, but what's interesting is the guy had come back to say that he did try to give it to the police at the time and that they rejected it and that they didn't, which I could, it's possible because at the time the case was closed, you know, maybe they think all the forensic testing at the time was exhausted. So what else could they do? 
So I think that that was just his defense. I think that he assumed the case was closed because O.J. Simpson was found not guilty, so he assumed he could hold on to it. He later on claimed, yes, that he apparently called a supervisor, and this supervisor told him that the case was closed. What supervisor is that? <laughs> like, I just, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe him. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's telling the truth or not. But he didn't wait till he was retired to decide to try to frame this thing. So that's kind of, you know, he wanted to make sure he could get in no trouble with the department. Is what I'm thinking. Well, just because you're yeah. retired doesn't mean you can't get in trouble. And I think this guy could get in trouble. Well, could they touch his pension? Is the question. So that's an interesting thought. Could they? you know, hit him in his pockets with his money or could he end up behind bars? Because technically... Destruction of justice. Yeah, he was willfully concealing evidence. Mm -hmm. As a cop, he has a duty. Any layperson has a duty to turn over a piece of evidence if they know it was an instrumentality of a crime, which the construction worker knew it was. He knew it was OJ's house and he knew it was a knife, which means it's the possible murder murder weapon. So he did his duty. He fulfilled his duty. He handed it over. Cops have duty, have the duty to handle evidence regardless. That is their job Job, description. And so the fact that he held on to this all this time, technically, could be shown that he had the intent to conceal. And if you have the intent to conceal, then you can be charged with willfully concealing evidence and obstruction of justice. Though he could claim, oh, I never had the intent because I thought it was a closed case. And I reported it to my supervisor, you know, who instructed me. Supervisor. So, yeah, it's an interesting case. We'll see where it goes. We'll certainly see if the testing yields anything. Do you think that... um, people are going to, in the district attorney's office, is going to start looking into this cop and possible charges or forget about it? I I don't think so. Um, it, it does seem, it's sort of kind of a haphazard you know, case where it seems like the guy, there's not enough evidence to know what exactly took place. You know, we, we don't know the supervisor. Is it going to be a, a very significant investigation? I don't think so. And you know what's interesting to me is that um, a big theme of the show and a big theme of the trial itself 20 years ago was that the LAPD was framing O.J. Simpson. Yeah. That was the defense. So, you know, it kind of discounts this defense theory that the LAPD was framing him if an LAPD officer found the murder weapon yet did nothing about it. Yeah, and, and we do, uh, from watching American Crime Story, we know that, in fact, the LAPD at times were infatuated with Mr. Mr. Simpson. You know, he was a local celebrity. So, you know, now, in hindsight, some of that's cut, ag- um, cut against that uh, defense argument, but we'll certainly see where it ends up. Also, do you think that the timing is more than coincidental that this show premieres and then all of a sudden this knife, you know, story appears? Yeah, I think it, well, it, it might just be alerting people to, you know, the kind of uh, the fame of the story itself and publicizing it. Um, whether or not they'd be testing this regardless, you know, but it just wouldn't make news. You know, it wouldn't be on TMZ, certainly. I think it would make news regardless because it is O.J. Simpson, but now, like, everyone is back in it and everyone is obsessed. And part of me thinks that the district attorneys are probably rolling their eyes like they are done with this case. They are over it. They know it was one of their biggest embarrassments and biggest failures in the history of major crimes. And now they're still having to deal with the blunders and the mistakes of the Los Angeles Police Department. Yeah, and we still have the medical examiner. The medical examiner came out saying the buck knife in question could have made the 
the wounds inflicted to the victims. So there, you know, there's more kind of fuel to that fire. And I think that this case in particular really highlighted like the obvious mistakes of the LAPD, like all the things they did wrong, holding on to the blood, you know, all the things they did wrong. And now it comes out that this cop held on to this knife. Well, one of the biggest things they did wrong was chain of custody. You know, they, they violated that several times and you know, it's no difference here. <laughs> this chain of custody lasted 20 years. Yeah, this did. chain of custody. <laughs> He means this knife was like sitting in this guy's like cabinet in his TV yeah. cabinet. Where where the where the hell did he keep the knife? <laughs> well, I, I don't think he polished it, so maybe <laughs> they will find uh, something. Who and knows? if he did polish it, then he's even dumber because now it really can't get tested. That's yeah. why I feel like, you know, when these results do come out in two weeks, do you think they're really going to show anything? I, I can't imagine. I, I would be shocked. And if it did it might lend more evidence to that he's being set up by the LAPD because that would just be shocking to me. Yeah, so, I mean... They can't win. <laughs> they can't win. Some theories have been thrown out there that what if um, another suspect's DNA is on this knife and it points to someone else, mm. but then why would it be buried in O.J. Simpson's backyard? If it's someone related to O.J. or someone that knows O.J. well. That would make sense. So, and he wanted to frame OJ? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, maybe it made sense to frame OJ, or maybe that was someone he came to for counsel, and then people started to look to OJ for the crime. And then one big issue that was talked about when this case first came out was okay, if you do find OJ Simpson's you know, DNA, blood, fingerprints, fingerprints, whatever, on the knife, could he be retried for murder? No, no. He cannot be retried for murder ever again or any lesser-included offense, including manslaughter, because of double jeopardy. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's interesting to me that even if this knife were to reveal something, it's not going to result in any sort of justice to the families of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. Well, the one big theory is that OJ's son, his older son at the time, is the one who committed the crimes. So if There is also a theory that yeah. his younger son, who was seven oh, at the yeah, time, no, yeah. committed it. Yeah. <laughs> but if there's any DNA from that son, I think that would, very, it would be very telling. Yeah, and uh, another theory I was thinking about, though OJ Simpson cannot ever be prosecuted again for murder, if there was evidence that you know, this cop found the knife and the first person he turned to was OJ and OJ paid him off to keep it a secret all these years, which yeah. is an explanation for keeping it for so long yeah. because why else would this cop keep it for so long unless just, he was being bribed? That if that was true, then OJ could be prosecuted for the crime of extortion. Yeah. So um, it's a never-ending saga. I have, I have one last question on this story for you. Do you think that Ryan Murphy and the people behind uh, American Crime Story are going to almost do like an epilogue after all these episodes end with an update? I mean, they could yeah. they could be shooting something right now. This there's always news. Yeah, I, I don't think so, but that would be I would I would love to see something like that. You know, to kind of see them revisit it and maybe even include some of the original players. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna. I I know you have a whole separate show on American Crime yeah. Story, but I think it is. Fascinating television, oh, absolutely yeah, regardless fascinating. Regardless of what you believe, it, 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 it's riveting. So, and I think this story got a lot more traction than it would have had it been reported even six months ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so um, moving on to our next update. Originally, Shaka and I were planning on doing the entire episode tonight on Bill Cosby because what was going to happen was that Bill Cosby was going to have his preliminary hearing yesterday, which is the chance for the prosecution to present their evidence, their witnesses, 
their crucial evidence to the judge, and then the judge would decide whether there was enough evidence to proceed to trial. It's a really pivotal moment in a case because it really is a preview. And the defense also gets to put on a preview of their defense as well in trying to say there's not enough evidence to proceed to trial. But Bill Cosby, yet again, is getting his way out of the justice system, and it's it's sad to me. So basically what happened was um, once criminal charges were filed, there was a hearing last month where Bill Cosby claimed that these charges cannot be filed because they were based on this um, sealed deposition testimony that he gave where he admitted to drugging these women um, and sleeping with them. But he only gave that civil deposition testimony under the condition that he would never be prosecuted for criminal charge yeah, the, the spoken condition the spoken condition yeah. exactly this apparent agreement between the district attorney's office and bill cosby back in 2005 was never written down it's not like there's a contract between them or some agreement where the da writes i won't prosecute you you feel free to go ahead and do this deposition trans or do this deposition you know without the fear of having us prosecute you it was all conversations and so there was this hearing last month as to whether the criminal charges should be dropped because um, Bill Cosby felt that he didn't, he wasn't going to be prosecuted, and that's the only reason he did the testimony, and the testimony is the only basis for these criminal charges in the first place. The judge let the case move forward. Yeah. So we were setting the stage for the preliminary hearing, and then Bill Cosby decides, and his defense team decides, we're going to appeal that decision, and now the prosecutors have filed a motion to quash to try to keep the case going, um, and it's going to be tied up basically in the appellate system for the next couple months, likely, yeah. as appellate judges decide the legality of whether or not criminal charges should be filed. Yeah. So what do you think about all this? You know, I think that Cosby's attorneys are just trying to keep the case extended as long as possible. Um, you know, obviously, the longer it takes to get to trial, um, the less reliable um, evidence gets, the less reliable testimony gets. And I think it kind of loses its appeal in the media. And so I think they're trying to wait that out. And, you know, Cosby's an old fellow. So, like, you know, unfortunately, you hate to think about mortality, but his health is failing. And maybe they're just trying to put it off until something happens to him or but I think that's exactly what they're doing yeah. it's the paterno effect yeah. where they're waiting for him to die so yeah. that he never has to end up behind bars yeah so it serves their best interest to try to just eat this out as long as they possibly can and uh, you sent me a story one of their defenses is so ridiculous Shaka tell us about it um, the blind defense <laughs> yes yeah, that um, well Cosby's now blind and so he won't be able to recognize certain um, witnesses or recognize, you know, certain victims. And so they're alleging that he can he basically can't see, though it looks as though he's had several different shows and appearances in between the time that he's claiming that um, his blindness has started to set in. And just because you're blind doesn't mean you can't be prosecuted for a crime. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're saying that the testi his testimony will be unreliable because he won't be able to identify certain people in the court which I think is obviously a very tenuous argument. Yeah, I think it's a ridiculous argument. Um, I think that they do have some strong arguments, the defense, and we kind of saw that last month in that hearing where basically um, they're going to attack the rape victim, which this always happens. It's yeah. it's 
victim shaming, victim blaming, whatever you want to call it. And they're going to claim that, you know, she waited a year before calling police and, um, you know, they declined to prosecute him for all these years because the evidence wasn't strong enough the first time around. And so if this case ever does actually end up going to trial, it's still a long road ahead for this victim and the countless other victims. I mean, legally, I think it'll be tough to prove a lot. However, I do think the the jury might just... I think everyone has a general sense that he's guilty. So, I mean, it's really going to come down to jury selection and getting a really impartial jury. If they can do that somehow, even with the oversaturation of media coverage, then they have a shot of um, possibly getting him acquitted. But I think people just believe he's guilty and will find a way to make him guilty. Um, so it's really going to come down to that. I mean, I jury. hope that's not the case because that's not what the justice system is about. It's supposed yeah. to be based on the evidence alone and the evidence that's only presented at trial. But I definitely think this is a case that yeah. has gotten so much news coverage that how do you get an impartial jury? Yeah, there was the cover of what all the women on the one cover that uh, accused him of sexual assault. So you might be in there ruling just on one woman, but in the in your mind, the specter of the rest of the women are going to be going to be right there. And you know what's interesting is yes, this case in Pennsylvania is just one woman because that case was the only one that yeah. fell within the statute of limitations. Yeah. In Pennsylvania, there's a 12-year statute of limitations for sexual assault, and they literally filed the case on the eve of the statute of limitations expiring. But for all these other women in California and in New York, yeah. the statute of limitations had already expired on being able to prosecute and charge um, Bill Cosby. So the avenue they ended up taking is interesting to me they ended up actually suing bill cosby for defamation because yeah. all these women came out with their stories that bill cosby drugged them and raped them and then he turned around and called all these women liars yeah. so these women filed defamation suits against him saying you defame my character you knew that i was telling the truth yet you still told everyone in the media and publicized that i was a liar yeah. which is an interesting tactic because i mean if you're not going to get justice criminally at the very least a civil defamation suit gives some small measure yeah. of justice to these women but yet again the Cosby defense team is just putting up walls left and right what ended up happening was um, Bill Cosby's wife was supposed to testify yeah. and she said she was not going to testify a court order forced her to and 98 of the questions she was asked in deposition, she asserted her marital privilege. Yeah, so yeah, that was a, what we thought was initially going to be a victory um, for the prosecution was um, having her testify, but having the marital privilege not be a bar to the deposition, deposition altogether. But apparently she invoked it on almost every single question. And so what the marital privilege is, is um, any communication, uh, that confidential communication between a married couple, as long as it's not... Um, a communication that anyone else overheard is you can assert marital privilege um, because the law respects the sanctity of marriage and um, that's why that privilege exists. Yeah. So the problem is I think she's using that privilege a little too broadly and a little too loosely. Yeah, and, and she was also a business manager. So I think uh, she was using that privilege to extend to conversations that might otherwise be considered business if she wasn't able to kind of blur those lines and say I'm his wife as well. Do you think she knows a lot more than she's letting on? I do. I think she knows a lot more with regards to pay the payoffs. I think as a business manager she was probably aware that there were certain women that had to be paid to keep um, to be kept quiet but 
she might believe what they're keeping quiet about is just the infidelity or, or you know. But she had to have known that her husband of 60-something years was not only sleeping around but was taking advantage of young, vulnerable women. Well, yeah, I think her, I mean, I think what she's claiming is that she kind of was aware of the infidelity, but, you know, nothing else untoward was taking place. You know, it makes me think of the Jerry Sandusky case and how yeah. his wife claimed she had no idea that he would take these young boys down to the basement and take advantage of them in the most awful sorts of ways. It's like when you live together, even if you even if they weren't living together, Camilla Cosby had to have known what was going on and to turn a blind eye. She's not equally as guilty as Bill Cosby, but it's really terrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard to get in that mindset of wanting someone that you love and you decide to share your life with be innocent or as innocent as possible. So whether or not she was kind of willfully turning a blind eye or she just had made herself into this person that believed this thing um, is another, you know, another kind of gray area for me. But I definitely think she invoked that privilege far too much, and I think she should be more forthcoming to actually get to the truth. Yeah. So uh, we will keep everyone updated on Bill Cosby. Hopefully, eventually, we will be doing a show like we were supposed to, which is only going to be on the preliminary hearing because a lot of stuff's going to come out there. And yeah. so I hope at least in a couple months um, we'll get to do a show like that, which means that this case is moving forward. Yeah, finally. Finally. <laughs> I mean, happens. it's yeah. it's like a slow snail-like crawl to justice. Yeah. And he very well could be six feet under before anything happens. Yeah. So um, the next case we're going to talk about uh, is Bobby Christina. Bobby Christina's birthday was on Friday. She would have been, I think, 23 years old. And on her birthday, the autopsy results were released to the media. The local media in Atlanta had petitioned the judge to release these sealed autopsy results, and they were released coincidentally or not on her birthday and um, I think people thought it was going to be a bigger bombshell than it was. Basically it's listed the cause of death as um, drowning combined with her drug use. She had weed in her system, cocaine in her system, possible um, meth or heroin in her system. Um, But we have to remember that there was six months between the time she drowned in the tub and between the time she actually passed away she was in a coma that entire time so by the time that autopsy was done those autopsy results are not based on what her body showed it was based on the medical records and the toxicology results and interviews so it's not exactly the biggest bombshell to say that she drowned and had drugs in her system yeah exactly and you know so eerie with the mom having died the exact same way and, and yeah, unfortunately, due to the time in hospice, you know, the autopsy results aren't as accurate because a lot of the finger pointing has gone towards the boyfriend or husband at the time, um, Nick Gordon, as to whether or not he even injected her with a lethal cocktail and put her in that bathtub. And, okay, so, you know, the autopsy results show she had drugs in her system. And one of the theories that um, Bobby Brown's family believes is that Nick Gordon drugged her. Okay, she had drugs in her system, but just because she has drugs in her system, you cannot prove that Nick Gordon, you know, drugged her and gave yeah. her some toxic drug cocktail. Yeah, and they're, and they're also kind of using what appears to be a past history of abuse on his part, you know, on Bobby Christina to kind of push the case. It's so kind of similar to the OJ case where it was sort of the domestic violence and, you know, here she's gone, so, you know, we're looking towards OJ. And I think they're making the same case here with Nick. 
And there were, um, you know, marks on her body and things that could show and point towards abuse. But again, this was a six-month-old, you know, body, essentially, that they were testing because she was in a coma for so long. And so... I think that it's a very tenuous case against Nick Gordon, and that's why prosecutors never actually filed a case against him. And what's interesting is the reason the autopsy report was sealed this whole time is because it was an active open investigation and because prosecutors were looking into charging him. And then the media petitioned for this, and the judge actually in his ruling said, I don't think there's any sort of bombshell in here, so I'll go ahead and release it. So if the judge doesn't think there's a bombshell in there, then there's not. Yeah, the prosecution's probably not going to go with a bombshell there. So do you think that, you know, this is the end in terms of criminal charges for Nick Gordon? I do, unless, you know, there's a journal or something else, some other new evidence. Yeah, I believe so. And then mean in the meantime, there's also this civil suit going on where um, Bobby Christina's family on behalf of her estate, has um, filed civil suit for wrongful death against Nick Gordon, claiming that he injected her with this um, lethal toxic drug cocktail and then drowned her. And the only real evidence that's based on is some witness testimony about things that were going on that night. Yeah, but we do know juries like to be, they tend to be a little bit more emotional when it comes to, you know, monetary awards. It's not taking your life away or putting you in jail. So now they may be more prone to go with what they feel like from the media. So I don't think it'll really ever get to the point of a jury even though, because, um, First of all, the case, even a, a civil case, when you file a case, it has to be based on some sort of evidence. You have yeah. to have a good faith belief that, you know, the claim that you're making, wrongful death, is based in truth and is based in evidence. And so uh, this case could get thrown out on a motion for summary judgment that they yeah. were unable to um, allege specific enough facts to prove wrongful death and even if it gets beyond a motion for summary judgment and nick gordon gets deposed he can assert his um fifth amendment right um because if he were to talk about all of a sudden bobby christina in this deposition then we could have a bill cosby situation on our hands again where he's gonna say oh you know my deposition testimony, I was doing that under the belief that I wasn't going to be prosecuted. Well, that deposition testimony could lead to criminal charges, which is why he would or his attorney would tell him to assert his fifth, invoke his Fifth Amendment right to remain silent yeah. and not incriminate himself. Yeah, let's hope he's got smarter attorneys than Cosby had. But yeah, because <laughs> that, that still is, <laughs> I can't believe his attorneys let that happen. But yeah. Uh, let that happen without having the agreement be in like writing, in yeah. writing. That's what I couldn't believe. Yeah. yeah, and so I think that Nick Gordon's lawyers would be smart enough that if it does get to the point of him being deposed, that he would invoke his privilege and his right to remain silent so that he does not incriminate himself in case of a criminal investigation. Yeah. So um, I don't know if there will be any more updates on the Bobby Christina case that we'll be talking about because in my mind it's done. Yeah, I think it's closed. Yeah, unless something new appears, it's, it's closed. And it's sad because it's like this family cannot get peace even in death. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very sad, tragic thing for Whitney and for her daughter. And the fact that these autopsy results were released on her birthday was yeah, it's, I don't sad. Think the of it, yeah. And I think Bobby Brown, he released a statement saying like he did not approve of that. And I agree. It's like, let this child rest in peace yeah literally so um that's something we probably won't be bringing updates on but there's two more stories we want to discuss the first one is kesha 
Kesha, the pop star who has had a long legal battle with Dr. Luke, her record producer at Sony. Basically, she claims that um, starting from the time she was 18 years old, she's 29 right now, starting from the time she was 18 years old, uh, Dr. Luke would Cosby her, (laughs) would drug her and take advantage of her. Um, She said that it happened once in Malibu, he gave her what was called a sober pill, and she woke up naked in his bed. It happened once on a plane. He gave her something and took advantage of her. And these things happened, yet she recorded music with him, became an international pop sensation, and then decided in October 2014 for the first time to do something about it. She filed a civil suit for sexual battery and assault, and as part of the remedies in a civil suit is not only would she get monetary damages, meaning money, but she would also be able to get equitable relief in the form of injunction, which would release her from her contract with Sony. Yeah, and then the, um, but that that trial, Dr. Luke filed a countersuit, um, and that trial, Got held up. So what they did was they wanted to go to uh, they wanted to get a preliminary, um, a preliminary injunction, a preliminary injunction for the equitable relief before that case was actually determined. Yeah. So um, you, exactly what you're talking about. Cases can take a very long time, and. Um, Kesha and her attorney, Mark Garagos, decided, why don't we file a preliminary injunction which would allow us to be released from the contract while the case is still going on, while the case is still being litigated. And to do that, you have to prove a high likelihood of success that you're going to end up succeeding once the case actually gets to trial and that you would be irreparably harmed in the interim during the period of time that she's waiting for this case to go to trial. She would be harmed. And she claims she'd be harmed because as a pop star... It's about youth, it's about timing, it's about constantly being yeah. in the media, constantly putting your music out there. So two, so two, three years without making music, you might as well be a nobody again. Exactly, but the judge disagreed with that and the judge said, you know, I don't think you've proved that likelihood, so I'm gonna let that case proceed. So he didn't say you're not gonna get the equitable relief you're seeking, but you're not, you're not gonna get it right now. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people misunderstood when the judges a decision first came out that it was like this case was over and Kesha had to stay in this recording contract. The judge's decision was merely that for now she must remain in the recording contract until the case proceeds because there's no evidence yet. Yeah. No depositions have been taken. There's no evidence yet. So I think it was a fair decision on the judge's part. Yeah, and then recently we got this update that Sony may be letting Kesha out of or really Sony would be dropping Dr. Luke in order to let Kesha out of this contract. So because of the pressure of the other artists that have come to her defense. I mean, every artist, you name it, Lady Gaga, Kelly Clarkson, Miley Cyrus, Adele has come to her defense. But more interesting, a lot of the artists who came to her defense have all worked with Dr. Luke. Yeah, and Kelly Clarkson said he was a little bit creepy when they worked together. So that was not good press for them either. Yeah, and um, Sony has come out and said, you know, we allowed Kesha to work with other recording producers. She didn't have to work with Dr. Luke. She could work with another producer, but she claimed, oh, well, if I worked with another producer, I know that Sony wouldn't promote my music. They wouldn't market it. And the way it was set up, though, the team producers she would have to work with would ultimately report to Dr. Luke. So he's still kind of in a supervisory role, even though he wouldn't be working directly with her. And those producers would be kind of wanting to look out for his best interests as well. So I do get why she didn't feel comfortable working with anyone that they provided. Yeah, um, I do think, though, that 
It will be a difficult case for Kesha to prove once the case does proceed um, because I actually wrote this exclusive for Law News. It's a new legal news website that Kesha never filed a police report accusing Dr. Luke of sexually assaulting her. She skipped a step and she went straight to filing a civil suit. But if it's true that Dr. Luke drugged her and raped her why wouldn't she have gone to the police my only thought would be at the time she was reporting it she felt she didn't have the evidence to you know to actually she made but that's the decision of the cops and the district attorneys to decide whether there's enough evidence or not i would think that at least reporting it to the police would give her claims more merit because she tried to do something about it but and it may have also she may have also been trying to keep the relationship with sony you know, keep a positive relationship. Well, with you know, she talks about how because another difficult thing for Kesha to get over is she gave a deposition where she stated under oath that Dr. Oh, yeah. Luke did not drug her and that they never had sexual intercourse. She has claimed since then that she lied because she felt pressured and threatened by Dr. Luke. Fine, that's going to be an issue, but fine, jurors could accept that. But still, then once you decided to proceed with the civil suit, you know, these. 10 years after these attacks first started, then go and file a police report then because she filed the civil suit in October 2014. If she had gone to the police, even as late as October 2014, there's a 10-year statute of limitations for sexual assault in California. She was still within that 10-year statute at that point, just on the eve of it, and they could have filed charges if they believed there was enough evidence. Yeah, unfortunately, she didn't go that route, and so that's gonna be, um, I think, problematic in her case. But um, but hopefully it, it, it maybe the the rumors are true. I think Dr. Luke has come out and said Sony and um, him have a very tight relationship still, and they're not going to let him go. But the rumors have been swirling that Sony plans to let him go, um, based on all the media pressure. I mean, when every single pop artist is talking about it, it's any publicity is good publicity, yeah. but it, only to a certain extent. I think exactly. it's good publicity for Kesha, yeah. <laughs> but not, not for, for Dr. Son- Luke. And not for Sony. And yeah. not for Sony for being associated with Dr. Luke. But I do think that Dr. Luke, if, you know, he's going to stay in this fight regardless of whether um, Sony drops him or not, but I do think he has a viable defense that um, Kesha was motivated by money here alone because if she was motivated by justice, then why not file the police report? Yeah, and and that's a question I still have. Yeah, so um, there will be plenty of updates in that case. On March 21st is uh, the deadline to give your request for discovery. So they're going to, you know, Dr. Luke is going to ask, okay, if there's a police report, producer it. And guess what? There's not going to be one. And then it'll move towards depositions and depositions will be taken. Um, But it is a very slow road because at the earliest the case could start in early 2017 in early next year so it's not going away anytime soon yeah i think we'll be a lot of updates on that one yeah there will be a lot of updates um there's one case that i think everyone thinks oh it's over it's done but i think there's a long road ahead i'm talking about aaron andrews aaron andrews on monday it was announced that the jury awarded her get ready for this $55 million because back in 2009, she stayed at this Nashville Marriott. Um, The Marriott Hotel placed her stalker in a room next door to her. He ended up secretly videotaping her, undressing, and posted it online. 
Yeah, you know, now uh, I think I spoke about last week. I didn't really think that she would get this award um, because I thought it would be very difficult, at least not from the hotel. Um, I thought it would be very dis difficult to find the hotel liable for any negligence there. But what I realized was when I went back, they weren't alleging just negligence in, you know, the, the guy came in, coming and drilling the, the people. But they alleged negligence that they did not inform Miss Andrews that someone had requested to stay specifically right next to her. Yeah, and that's the scary part. Basically, um, her claim against the National Marriott was that they failed to keep her reasonably safe, that hotels have a duty to keep their guests safe, and they yeah. failed to keep her reasonably safe. Yeah. And I agree, they did, because why would... Okay, if someone calls up a hotel and they say, oh, what room is Aaron Andrews staying in? And they tell you, and then they say oh, I want to be placed next to her, and then they do it, and they don't ask questions, and they don't tell Aaron Andrews. Well, no wonder the jury found that they were liable because, you know, I'm surprised, one, that Aaron Andrews wasn't staying under a fake name, two, that they would release her um, room number to this guy, and then three, let this guy request the room next to her without following up as to why. Are you a family member? Do you work for ESPN? Why are you being placed next to her? Yeah, I think he called, I want to say he called from the restaurant. So I think he called from an inline phone. So I think maybe that maybe led to some sort of credence. But what I found difficult was to find that this call would lead to him drilling the hole. But there, Aren't there security cameras in the hallways that yeah. they should have been monitoring? Isn't there a security protocol in place to ensure that guests aren't peeping toms? Yeah, and, and those were the arguments I think that really were strongest. I, I wasn't aware they were making. And so I think, yeah, they definitely, they definitely messed up on that duty, at least to inform her team and her that someone wanted to be next to her and requested that specifically. Yeah, and say, oh, okay, do you know this Michael Barrett guy? You know, yeah. he's requesting to be placed next to you. And then that would have saved her a lot of pain and suffering, which yeah. is the only reason she's being compensated with $55 million. There was no right. economic damages here. There was no loss of income. In fact, it can be argued that Aaron Andrews became even more famous because of the release of the tape. Yeah. Um, and except for, you know, maybe therapy bills in the past and in the future, there's no economic damages. So the entire... $55 million is to compensate Erin Andrews for her emotional pain and suffering. Yeah, and I think it rested on really two things. Was A, that her team said, had they known that this guy made that request, this protocol would have been to do X, Y, and Z. One of the things would have been to move rooms for, um, for short. So we do have that if they'd been aware of this harm, there would have been something done about it, you know. And then um, you see her on the stand and she's bawling for the, those few days that she's on the stand. And I think that was really to underscore the emotional damage she had been through. And it didn't help that there was an accusation of um, one of the, one of the hotel executives looking at the video during this trial at a dinner um, one of the nights during the trial and like laughing and people noticing that he was looking mm -hmm. at the Aaron Andrews video. So things like that never help during a case, especially when you're alleging that most of the damage is emotional and everyone knows about it and people are mocking her constantly. To have someone from the hotel you know, be, being said to do this certainly doesn't help your case. Yeah, and not only did she take the stand and cry, her parents, her mom and her dad both took the stand, said yeah. that, you know, she's scared now, she doesn't trust people, she's depressed. Her therapist took the stand and said, you know, she's had a difficult time bringing up this discussion with new boyfriends, yeah, you know, how do I tell them about yeah. it, and her current boyfriend. But still, is it worth $55 million? Yeah, and I mean, 
She was asking for $75 million, by the way, yeah. uh, so she got $20 million less than that, but still a substantial chunk of change. Yeah, I mean, I have no doubt it hurt her, but again, she continued to work throughout this. Um, she was composed, you know, it, it didn't seem to me to cause the type of harm that I was hearing from the emotion, but, you know, and certainly not $75 million worth or $55 million worth, but at the same time, she was violated, the hotel had a duty, um, certainly the guy had a duty to, you know, be on good behavior but so you know the award is justified in some respects but i i don't know if she maybe cried an extra tear or two to to try to justify getting this money start yeah i mean i believe that she suffered harm i believe she was emotionally distressed as a result of this situation but to the tune of 55 million dollars i don't think so which is why um i i wrote a story saying that in my opinion I thought that um, a remitter was going to take place. Basically, what a remitter is, is that now that this case um, has gone to the jury and they came back with this verdict, the defense would file a motion for a new trial due to excessive damages. Then the judge can decide if he feels that the damages are excessive, that um, he would order a remitter, which gives the plaintiff, Aaron Andrews here, two options. Either she can um, accept a lowered amount that's set by the judge and the judge will then deny the motion for a new trial and she gets to go home with that lowered amount or she denies it and the judge um, decides to go forward with a second trial and then you'll see what the jury comes up with the second time around. It could be a way lesser amount or they could find uh, the defendants not liable at all. So it is a gamble for the plaintiff to take. In my opinion, I think this is the perfect case for a remitter because it screams to me excessive damages. But what was interesting to me, and this is what the, I want to get your opinion on this, is um, in this story on Law News, you can check it out, uh, these two Nashville attorneys both said that they did not think that the judge was going to order a remitter because in Tennessee, which is where the case took place, the law is, is the verdict um, within the realm of reason? And in their opinion, the judge could find it was within the realm of reason. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard for me to see the, the reason that it would be in the realm it would be in because she did have so much economic success after it um, and she continued to work. So you're really, you're really just kind of, it's almost doing it punitively um, towards the hotel and towards, I think the guy's on the hook for what, 20 million, but she'll never see that. Um, yeah, so so I, I don't think it's within the realm of reason necessarily because it's hard to quantify what's reasonable, but 55 million when your career took off after that and you made a lot of money after um, seems excessive. Yeah, and um, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with the split. Basically, there was two defendants, Michael Barrett, the stalker, and the Nashville Marriott. Yeah. It was a total of $55 million, but the jurors, when there's two defendants, they apportion fault. So they apportion 51% of the fault to the stalker and 49% to the Nashville Marriott. So the stalker, Michael Barrett, is on the hook for $28 million. Does this guy who just got out of 30 months in prison for the crime of stalking her have $28 yeah. million to his name, let alone a million? No, he's going to file for bankruptcy. She'll never see that money. As for the $26 million that Nashville Marriott is due to pay, I think that they're going to file a motion for a new trial. Yeah, and and I, obviously they'd probably be their insurance paying that, that money. But Or we'll see if they decide that they'll just rather pay it because of the, the bad coverage they're getting and you know, quash it and put it to bed. So it may be worth it for them to take that hit and write it off as a loss. I think there's no way they'll pay it because even if the judge decides not to order a remitter, then they can appeal the case. And remember, we're talking about Tennessee. 
and Nashville, way more conservative than Los Angeles or New York. And the judges are going to look at this case and they may think that $55 million is not in the realm of reason. Yeah, I think it's going to be, <coughs> I think it'll end up being a boardroom decision where they're going to look at their losses and profits and if they've lost um, profits due to this case. Have they, you know, because of the negative coverage. Like people don't want to stay at the Marriott yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because their security is for shit. So yeah, so I think if they, they see that they've lost X amount and it's just not worth it to continue going forward and they'll just pay it and go forward. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen because I think that there's there at two different steps along the way. First with the trial court judge, then with the appellate panel of judges, there's two very likely options that the verdict could get reduced that they yeah. might as well at least try that first before agreeing to pay out this yeah. large lump sum. True. So I think it'll be a very long time before Aaron Andrews ever even sees a dime, yeah. which does she need it even? Absolutely not, yeah. But at least it's maybe vindication for her and there's some sort of sense of justice. And I think that's important, you know. I also wonder if she gets the money, what she's going to do with it. Because I would think that um, she should donate a large portion of it at least to charity. Because when celebrities get a lot of money and they already have a lot of money, sometimes it looks bad if they yeah. hold on to it. Yeah. Like maybe I donate it to some... A, a women's related charity. Yeah, I think a victim charity or something related to sexual assault would be appropriate. Yeah, something like that. So uh, we will bring updates on the case if my prediction is correct that uh, Marriott and the stalker will turn around and file a motion for a new trial due to excessive damages. So we'll see. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Shaka. It was so great. Thank you for letting me come yeah, on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, I had so much fun. Tweet me at Mari Fagel. I'm almost at 3,000 followers. I'm like literally like less than 50 followers away, so follow me. <laughs> yeah, you can tweet me at Shaka Strong. And uh, thank you so much, and thank you for watching. Justice is served. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Christie, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us info at blackhollywoodlive.com like us on facebook tweet us or instagram us at bhl online and i am the official voice of black hollywood live Scipio, instagram at king xo bay thanks for tuning in hollywood redefined the views expressed here are those of the host owner and do not necessarily reflect the views of bhl or its owners or principals